paper into pieces. The day had been windy and sharp, and the blue and green shreds floated on the air like insect wings. I chased each piece, then shoved them deep into my pocket and ran to Clara's house. Clara is a colored woman and a clairvoyant. Some even say she's a witch. Clara laughs at what people call her. She says if you get to be as old as she is without learning a trick or two, you haven't been paying attention. For sure she knows magic. Not the rabbit-in-the-hat magic, but real magic. The kind that raises dead spirits and makes handsome men swoon over plain women. The magic that causes plums to ripen despite a hard frost. Magic that lets her see your future spelled out in brown tea leaves or in the lines crisscrossing your palm. Even though Clara doesn't live far, I'm not supposed to walk there alone, through the colored part of Granby. It's not just a rule at my house, but one that everybody knows. We go to school with black children and sometimes shop at the same stores, but most things are done as they always were, separately, with doctors and churches for whites and a different set for coloreds. No black man in his right mind would walk into a church full of whites. No white woman would dare let a colored doctor see her naked, or even let one give shots to her children to keep them safe from measles and smallpox. A white girl isn't safe in a neighborhood full of colored boys, Mary Roberts told me on the playground. I didn't ask what black boys might do that white boys wouldn't. I didn't want to hear any stories to scare me away from Grattan Street. Mary doesn't understand that when you need somebody the way I need Clara, you don't care two sticks what color skin they live in. Before I go to Clara's in the afternoons, I sit on the front porch steps until the postman comes. While I wait, I rest my satchel across my lap and practice fractions in my notebook or recite my spelling list. Sorrow. S-O-R-R-O-W. Tomorrow. T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W. I go over my words until I can spell them by heart. Sometimes I read my lessons, sounding out the words I don't know, because I'm afraid to ask Mama. Her nerves are wound tight as a watch. I don't want to upset her. She might cry or take off her clothes. I'm always afraid she'll drop the baby. Sometimes Mama does things to hurt herself. She gets carried away. Once, while sitting at the kitchen table to write a grocery list, she scratched her wrist with the pencil until it bled. The more it bled, the deeper she pressed the lead point into her skin. Daddy had to wrestle the pencil from her, then bandage her wrist and give her a shot to calm her. I'm not strong like Daddy and might not be able to stop her. Besides, now all the needles and medicines are gone. The sheriff took them when he came looking for Daddy. Where Mama is concerned, preventing her bad moods is the key. If we keep everything around Mama even and safe, she won't sink too deep, Daddy had said. A lily caught in a hurricane was how Daddy described Mama. If we calmed the winds around her, she would be fine. Remembering what he taught me, I walk on tiptoes and speak in a low, soft voice. 
When washing dishes, I make sure not to let the pots and pans bang together. No running through the house or slamming doors. When the phone rings, I answer it before the third ring. I don't ask for lunch money or help with homework, because Mama is prone to headaches and the light makes them worse. It's important to keep the lamps burning low and the curtains drawn shut. If someone comes to the door selling grit papers or vacuum cleaners, I send them away in a hurry. Most of all, I try not to mention Daddy, not even when his letters come. I put the money in her purse or in the cookie jar on top of the fridge and keep his letters in a box under my bed. She never asks where the extra money comes from. Maybe she doesn't even notice how we run so low only a few dollars are left, then there is suddenly money for the market. It is hard for her to know real from make-believe, so Mama makes sense of things in her own way.